0: I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, what a precious gift we have in God's Word. And so it is a joy to get to open our Bibles together and look into it. Galatians chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 11 through 18. for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we've opened your word. We've read it. It is remarkable that you've given us this treasure to know your mind to know what you think. For you have revealed to us, Lord, in your Scriptures, what is true, and what you want us to know. And so, Father, I pray again for humble hearts to receive your truth. Lord, it seems that our pride, our stubbornness, just impedes us from receiving the fullness of your truth that's revealed in your Word. And so, Lord, where there is pride, I pray that you would bring humility to us. And Lord, where there is a lack of understanding, I pray also that we would be humble enough to search your scriptures so that we might rightly understand what you have taught us in this word. Guide our minds and our thoughts to be focused on your truth now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great hymns of the church is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's a hymn written by Isaac Watts. Let me read it to you. Many of you, I'm sure, know it by heart. But it echoes the very essence of our faith, the cross of Jesus Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross, where the Prince of Glory died, My richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson like a robe spreads o'er his body like on the tree, then am I dead all to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's better sung, but I won't afflict that on you. This captures the heart of our faith as we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we stand amazed at what has been accomplished there. And it puts into perspective our whole life and everything that seems to be of value is so minimized when it is brought before the sheer grace and monumental accomplishment of our Lord Jesus Christ when He died on that tree. The cross of Christ divides the kind of lives that are lived in this world and it also divides the kind of ministries that are done in this world. It shows us that there are two kinds of lives and two kinds of ministries. The two kinds of lives are this. One life is forever altered by the cross of Christ. The other life goes on living in human strength and without a conviction of sin and without being transformed by the cross of Christ. The two kinds of ministries are these. One ministry is a ministry that is focused on the cross of Jesus Christ, and everything that is done flows out of the truth that God sent his son to die on a cross to save sinners. Every other ministry, or every other religion, is this. It is done in man's strength, avoids the cross, and seeks to glorify man instead of God. Those are the categories of all things, and it is all divided by the cross of Jesus Christ. One ministry that is in our neck of the woods, and you can look up their statement of faith, says this as far as what is essential to their ministry, and it sounds good until you realize one glaring omission. It says, we believe in the importance of Scripture. Amen. We believe that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. Amen. We believe that the Holy Spirit calls individuals to ministry, amen, and that's pretty much it. If you don't have the cross, you don't have ministry. If you don't have the cross, you don't have Christ. If you don't have the cross, you don't have God the Father. If you don't have the cross, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I didn't just cherry pick that little statement of faith as you peruse What this ministry goes on to do, it shows that their ministry is devoid of a true understanding of the cross. And it's reflected in the very words that they use to describe what is important to them. The cross of Christ is not central. The book of Galatians has been a book that has been a polemic, really, from start to finish. It's been an argumentative book, trying to address people who are caught up in a false teaching. The whole book has been trying to deal with people who are being troubled by false teachers. As Paul has laid out his argument in six chapters, he comes to the end of his letter and lays once again for us the essential truths that we need to know that will steer us in the right direction in our life and in our ministry. It should not surprise us that this book ends with one final and desperate and impassioned cry for the Galatians to heed what Paul has written. He tells them how important this is by starting in chapter 6, verse 11, by saying, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Most likely at this point, Paul had been dictating his letter, and he now takes up the quill and kind of signs off the letter with his own signature. This was his common practice in other letters. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, this is the way that I write. It proves the authenticity of the letter, but he points out here that he's writing with large letters. And there's conjecture about why he's doing this, and you can't be dogmatic. Some people say it's because his eyesight was poor, so he had to write big. I'm not sure that that's it. If you were to see large handwritten letters at the end of a very impassioned letter, you would think, This is important. I need to hear this. For us, this is bold, this is italics. This is capital letters. This is drawing our attention to the significance of what comes. And Paul wraps it all together here in these final verses to show us the importance of the cross of Jesus Christ to our whole religion, our whole faith, all of Christianity, because if you remove the cross, you remove the heart, and you have nothing but superficiality. The cross really is the dividing point of it all. And this book ends with this description of two kinds of lives or two kinds of ministries for us. It shows the motives of these different lives and these different ministries, and it reminds us in doing so of the precious gospel. And so I hope that as we go through these verses, you are reminded of the precious gospel. You think about what these different ministries are, what these different lives are, and it points to you how precious the gospel really is. Paul begins by showing us what a ministry is or a life is that's driven by spectacle. We'll just draw this into two categories. And the first category is a ministry or a life driven by spectacle. Or you could say superficiality. These are ministries that you want to avoid. They're really in it for one thing, themselves. I say... It's driven by spectacle because there's something to see. It's something superficial about it. It's something external that kind of gets you hooked. In the case of the people that Paul was dealing with, it was the superficiality of circumcision. It was this great spectacle of this religious ceremony that would be held out to people to say, hey, this is important. You can see this, you can have ceremonies, it marks you out as somebody who belongs to God. You'll have a literal mark on your body that just shows how righteous you are. In the end, it's just a spectacle. It's only skin deep. These kind of ministries that are driven by spectacle or a life driven by spectacle just wants to make a good outward show. In Galatians chapter 4, Verse 17, Paul addresses these kind of people. He says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. These ministries that are false and devoid of the true essence of the cross make a good outward show, really, so that they will be built up. They may come and make much of you. And they do so that you will make much of them. Jesus has something to say about people who pursue the glory of man. In John chapter 5, verse 44, he says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Paul says flat out in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. That's their motive. They want to put on a good face, they want to look good. That's probably the best uh, equivalent in our vernacular of what Paul is saying. They want to look good, they want to look successful, they want to make a good showing in the flesh. This is no different than those Pharisees who emphasized the robes that they wore, the kind of prayers that they offered, the fasting that they did, and yet Jesus said that they missed the essence of it all, justice and mercy. The irony of this is they try to make a good showing in the flesh by getting the Gentile Galatians to be circumcised, is that Paul is made a huge emphasis on the flesh and what it is. He's described for us the works of the flesh back in chapter 5. He says in chapter 5, verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And in verse 19 and through 21 of Galatians 5, he lists out the works of the flesh, which if you were to have a bucket and you take all of those works and you put those in the bucket, it's like now you've got this bucket of rotting, putrid fish guts. That's what the flesh is. It's a horrific kind of lifestyle. And yet Paul is saying that these false teachers who are trying to make a good show are trying to take this rotting bucket of refuse and paint it up to make it look good. It doesn't matter how much paint you put on a bucket of filth, you should not want to touch it. That's what these false teachers are doing. They're trying to make a good show in the flesh. And in Paul saying that, he basically says, ultimately, that's impossible. You can't do it. You can try. You might be able to deceive some people. But in the end, all they have is a bucket of filth. How do you make a good showing of corrupt flesh? The way that they want to do this is by Getting these Gentile Galatians to be circumcised, this has been the problem throughout the book of Galatians. The church of Galatia was made up of Gentiles, and people came in, Jewish people came in teaching that in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised, which would show you to align with the Old Testament law. You can believe in Jesus, that's fine. But in addition to that, you need to have circumcision, which would show that you really belong to God and really belong to His people. That was what they were teaching. They wanted these Galatians to take on this act, but in doing so, they wanted to show that they could convert these Gentiles along to their way of thinking is really rooted in this pride to get these Gentile Christians to try to convert to their way of thinking and believing and living. And it became just this superficiality of let's get these people to think just like we think and to do this external act just like we do it. And it makes it look like we're important because we've got them all to come into our camp. You've heard of those ministries that publish their numbers. We had 6,000 baptisms this week. They published the number of people in their church. They are brimming with pride as they say how many people they have trained, as they say how many people they have baptized, how many countries of the world they've been to. And it's all about them and getting people to align with them and their mode of ministry and their way of thinking. It can even be getting people to come along to your side of some niche theological issue that you elevate to a level of importance that is more important than the cross of Christ. And you go around trying to get people to come on board with your way of thinking. This happens all around the evangelical world. And these niche doctrines become more important than the cross. And people boast when they're able to get people onto their side and think they've won the argument. It's a spectacle. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. Their motives are superficial as they want to get these Galatians circumcised and get them kind of to enter into their way of ministry. But they're Motives are so superficial, and it's exposed by Paul because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. The sign of circumcision was really a testimony that the person who had that on them was responsible now to keep the whole of the Old Testament law. And as so as these Gentiles really converted into this way of circumcision, they were really taking on the responsibility that they needed to keep the whole law. But Paul says in chapter 6, verse 13, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Not even they do it. And that proves right there that this whole thing is just some superficial way of ministry. Romans chapter 2, verse 17 says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law... As they tried to wrap people into this whole idea of circumcision and law keeping, it was again superficial because they themselves didn't even keep the whole law. And so as these Gentiles came on and had to accept this idea of circumcision and law keeping, it was so hypocritical because they themselves should have known that no one can keep the whole law. And so they didn't really care about true righteousness and true holiness. They just cared about making a good show in somebody else's flesh to make it look like they are righteous. But when it comes to the real matter of true righteousness, of real holiness, they didn't care about that because they themselves didn't even keep the law. You see this as people preach a message and they try to make the congregation understand that there is this level that they need to live up to. And yet they themselves don't come even close to that. And they don't even try. It's a superficial ministry that tries to get people just baptized and doesn't care about their discipleship. Tries to build up numbers, but doesn't care about true inner growth in Christ. There's this kind of legalism that just wants notches in the belt. They want you to wear the right clothes, listen to the right music, watch the right things, ascribe to the right theology, but love for God is nowhere in sight. And love for neighbor is replaced by a love for one's external righteousness. Paul says again in 6.13, They desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. This is the picture that Paul seems to be drawing on. It's fairly graphic and it's drawn from 1 Samuel chapter 18. It's when Saul, who is out to get David but is offering David his daughter as a wife, tells David. The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines, and when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. These false teachers want to look like this victorious King David as they bring the foreskins of their Gentile converts and boast over them. Forgive the graphic nature of it, but that's how superficial this ministry is that they are pursuing. And superficial ministry is always that graphic because it is only looking for some external conformity to some standard that they hold out but don't care about inner transformation of the heart. They want to boast in the flesh. And so they see their rooms filled of false converts and people who may be baptized but have no love for Christ. The motives are so self-centered. These false teachers have another motive that's put in the negative. They want to avoid persecution for the cross. This kind of ministry or this kind of life that is focused on the externals, wants to avoid persecution for the cross. That's what Paul says, again, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This false ministry has the primary motive of boasting in their ministerial success, But there's another element to their ministry, and that's they don't want to be persecuted. And they don't want to be persecuted for a very specific thing, the cross of Christ. The situation was that in the early church, there was a dangerous divide between Gentile and Jews. The Jews were wrestling with the idea, do Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to belong to the people of God? And there was a staunch group that said, yes, you do. If you only believe in Jesus and you are not circumcised, that's a huge problem and they began to persecute people. In fact, Paul was persecuted often not by the Gentiles but by the Jews. He was stoned in Lystra for preaching the true gospel. And this party was so influential that they were known to be persecutors of those who preached the cross alone. And so it would makes sense for those who want to be spared persecution not to preach Christ alone and his cross is the only means of salvation, but to make it a little bit more in line with the popular idea that, okay, you can have Jesus, but you have to be circumcised too. And so they avoid persecution. So these people, although they may not have verbally denied the importance of the cross, they denied its importance by the ministry that they conducted. The cross is an extremely offensive message. When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brutally beaten, mocked, and hung on a cross to die, bloodied to a pulp, when you look at that cross, the righteous one hanging there, and you recognize what that means, you have to realize that the reason he is hanging there is because you are a sinner and he is not. If you come to any true entry point for the cross it immediately humbles you because you have to acknowledge that you are the responsible sinner whose sins are being punished on that righteous man. And we don't like that. Because we like to think of ourselves as better than we really are. We don't like to be told that we're dead in our sins or that we need to repent. We rather like the message of being open and affirming to all without judgment. Come, welcome, all. God loves you without exception. Oh, God's love is amazing. But when you tell people that, welcome, come, and you don't show them the true cross that points out that they are a sinner to the core, then you are offering them the wide path to destruction, and you abhor the cross of Christ that offers true salvation. The cross leaves humanity with no cause for boasting. Rather, it tells humanity, repent, This is the consequence for your sin, and this is the means of your forgiveness. Leave your sin behind, and come to the crucified Savior. Leave all of your pride at the door, and come humbly to Jesus Christ, who offers his life for yours, because yours is full of sin and wickedness, and his is full of righteousness and goodness, and he exchanges his for yours, so that you can be accepted before God the Father on the Day of Judgment. The cross strips us of all cause for boasting. It says that we need salvation and we need it desperately. It has nothing to say about self-esteem and self-approval of all kinds of human conduct. It is a message that God loved us while we were still sinners. And that he loved us by having his own son pay the ultimate price for our Sin. False ministries want to avoid this message. You can find lots of messages out there that focus on money, on feeling good about yourself, on marriage, on friendships, on money, on inner peace, on money. Or maybe there's a cross out there that shows that what God wants us to know is that we are wicked sinners in need of amazing salvation and that he offers us that through the cross of Christ. Do we welcome sinners here? Oh, you betcha. I hope that we are a welcoming place to sinners but we don't welcome them by telling them they're not sinners. Every last one of us in this room is a sinner. And the cross reveals that to us. We don't remove the cross from our teaching, our preaching, and our ministry. It is to be central to it all. False ministries want to avoid this message because this message gets you in trouble because people don't like to hear that they are sinners. That's a false ministry and a false life. What about a true ministry? A true ministry is driven by the cross. Notice in verse 14, how Paul immediately contrasts himself with these false he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, you boast that it is God who has done for you what you could never have done for yourself. When you boast in the cross, you are effectively saying, I am so wicked that I needed God's own son to die for me. I needed something as drastic as the horrible, horrific crucifixion of the righteous Jesus Christ. I needed that for me. We see the great cost of our sin as Christ died on the cross. And we confess as we boast in the cross that hell was our just deserts. But through God's grace, we're given redemption and forgiveness and welcomed into his kingdom. And so we boast in that message, in God's genius, to provide for us a solution to our own insolvable problem, the problem of our sin. God has given that to us in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he satisfies his own demands of his wrath and his justice, as he pours out his wrath on his own son to absorb that which was due to us. And in God's wisdom, he bestows on us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so it's God's wisdom, and it's God's grace, and we boast in that, and not in our flesh. Do you think removing one little piece of your skin is going to impress God on the day of judgment? No way. Do you think that the cross of Jesus Christ impresses God? You bet it does. And so we boast in that, not in ourselves. To boast in this is scandalous to the world. We boast in something really shocking. It was impolite in Roman society to even say the word cross. You would say something like, that man was hung on that unlucky tree. But Paul says that he boasts in the cross. Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul was a well-educated man. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and yet it has become for him that the only thing that he boasts in is in something he didn't even do except to contribute his own sin to the death of Jesus Christ. And he boasts in that. The world boasts in its accomplishments, skyscrapers, athletics, the Olympics, our money, our militaries, our rockets, our space exploration. We boast that somebody died for our sins. That's our boast. We boast in an execution. Yes, it's the cross that we boast in. When you boast in the cross, you're boasting in the fact that your alignment with the world has been forever altered. It is to boast that the cross has affected all of our relationships and all of our relationships are changed. He says that it is through the cross that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That means that the world has been crucified to Paul and to all who believe in Jesus Christ It means that now the world, which used to occupy all of our desires, all of our delights, it had everything that we wanted and everything that we indulged in, that idea of that sinful world has now been crucified through the cross of Jesus Christ to us. That means it is dead to us. That means that we look on it and despise it as people walked by Christ and spat at him and cast insults at him. We now look at the world no longer with fondness, and appreciation for it in all of its anti-God ways, but now we look at it with the kind of shame that it deserves. We abhor the world in all of its ways. That doesn't mean we hate people. It means we hate the ways of this world that once attracted us. And when Paul says that he has been crucified to the world through the cross of Christ... It means you are no longer aligned to the world. It means now that as you follow Jesus Christ with your life so transformed by his cross, that the world now sees you not as its friend, but as its enemy, as someone deserving of shame, as someone who should be spat on and despised because you represent a system of values and priorities that are completely at odds with this world that is anti-God. Because you have been transformed by the cross of Christ and made new and you now align with God and not with this world. So now this world looks at you as being friends with God with which this world is at enmity with. So you can't get along. That's why false ministries downplay the true nature of Christ and seek approval from the world because they love the world and not God. Notice the emphasis that Paul puts on this. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says something like that, it compels us to stop and evaluate our lives. Are you on the same page with that? Can you say with all sincerity, far be it from me to boast except in the cross? Do you understand how much you need the cross of Christ? That you find it almost despicable to think about boasting in anything else? What do you boast in? Well, why do you boast in anything besides the cross if you boast in anything besides the cross? Here at the cross is your salvation, your eternal life, Your relationship with God, your reconciliation, your adoption with Him, the gift of the Holy Spirit, an inheritance that will never fade, death to the old life, a new life in Christ. It is your treasure. It is your life. Why boast in anything else? True ministry boasts in the cross and it recognizes what is of true value. In verse 15, Paul says, For neither... Circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Those who minister or live truly know the difference between the superficial and the eternal. The troublers at Galatia were only interested in the superficial. Paul's interested in the eternal. And so he can say something like, on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. All that matters is have you been made new through Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. You recognize what's of true value. And what matters is a new creation That's to be born again, to be born of the Spirit, changed on the inside from an enemy of God to a friend of God. To be a new creation is to be a part of what God is doing in this world. We know that ultimately the Bible ends by God installing His new heavens and new earth. The physical realm will be remade. To be perfect and the curse totally removed. But God has begun the work of His new creation not in giving us new trees and new skies and new stars, but in giving us new hearts. That's where He begins. That's what matters. Because only new hearts, only those who have been born again, will see the kingdom of God. Circumcision, that doesn't count for anything. If for some reason you're to boast in being uncircumcised, that doesn't count for anything. But a new creation counts. Paul, in verse 16, recognizes true from false by giving almost this conditionality to those who will experience this. Because he's been dealing with these Galatians who have been tempted to go astray. And so rather than just dogmatically say all of you will experience this, he identifies who is going to experience this. He says, all, and as for all who walk by this rule, he's talking about anybody who recognizes that it is the new creation that matters before God and the new creation coming through the cross of Christ. If you recognize that, If you follow that rule, if that is the manner and conduct of your life, to live according to the reality that God has worked salvation through the cross of Christ, well then, peace and mercy be upon them. And, he says, upon the Israel of God. One day our whole world will be made new. The curse will have no claim any longer. And Paul urges us in Ephesians 4:22 22-24 to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It is those who will know this peace and this mercy that comes from God Paul adds this curious phrase at the end of verse 16, which says, And upon the Israel of God. And if you're unaware, this leads into this massive theological debate um, that I'm not going to get into right now. (laughs) Suffice it to say that Paul recognizes that the only people who experience the blessings of God whether Jew or Gentile, are those who belong to God through Jesus Christ. That's been the argument throughout the whole book of Galatians, that we're not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And I think those are the people that Paul is talking about, all who walk by this rule and the Israel of God. I believe it's speaking about those who are Gentiles who are saved and those who are Jews who are saved, only by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. Paul wraps up the letter by saying in verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul literally had scars from following Jesus. That's not what got him into heaven but it proved externally that he belonged to Jesus. These false teachers are after circumcision. Paul says, if you want some marks that prove real uh, alignment with God, I've got the scars on my back to prove it. And he looks more like Jesus than those false teachers do. And so he says to the Galatians, let no one cause me trouble. He means by that, he has proven that he is a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through whom salvation comes. So stop bothering him about this stuff and just line up with the gospel. And then this benediction, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. A sweet reminder that we always need the grace of Jesus Christ to be with us in the very core of who we are, in our very own spirit. And he concludes it, Amen. Which is to say, all that he has written, he expects that God agrees with. This is God's word. He tells us of true salvation of the cross of Christ, of justification, of new birth by the Spirit, of walking by the Spirit. All of this is of God. Let it be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We say amen to it. And Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at the cross of our Lord we are reminded what wretched sinners we were. It reminds us that there is no other name given to us by which we may be saved. There's Christ in him alone, and Father may He and his cross be our boast and nothing else. But Father, we are tempted to boast in ourselves and our accomplishments. We're tempted to avoid persecution. Lord, these things kind of claw at us. But I pray that you would so fill us with the knowledge of the cross of Christ and appreciation for its truth, that we would align ourselves daily with that reality. We would reckon ourselves dead to the world and the world dead to us. Father, make it so in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.